Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. So welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And we are traveling across the Atlantic Ocean today, all the way over to one of my favorite countries, to England. And let me tell you about my guest today. His name is Richard Moore. He has had such an interesting trajectory of career into entrepreneurship. But I think what I love the most is he decided there was no more negotiation on his weekly schedule. He was done in the trenches working 60 hours a week and he has built companies from the trenches up. He has taken ownership and led sales teams. He's had coaching roles, leadership roles, consulting. He's done it all. And we're going to talk to him about that today. So Richard, welcome to the show. I, I'm not going to say anything, Deb, because you're saying lovely things about me. So it's one of the best introductions I've had. Thank you very much. I'm really thrilled to be here. Well, and I, I just want, before we even jump into leadership, I want to say I'm in awe of you as a fellow heart-centered leader. And I want you to know that what I admire the most about you is your presence. You have a silent presence. And what I mean by that is when someone's talking to you, you have honed and evolved that art of listening, which I think we work on every day, but you just give such this grandiose presence. And I think the accent helps it too, because who doesn't like to listen to an English accent, right? That, I know. I feel like I'm fairly unique. Um, I'm courting an audience of mostly Americans and Canadians, it seems, and a little like sprinkling of Australians and very little in Europe. Um, so so it seems like I'm quite unique. Obviously, to me, Deb, I have no accent. This is just normal speaking. And you're the one with the exotic way of speaking. So uh, uh, it works both ways. Well, it's it's fun for me to hear it. My family is from England and Ireland and I, I always list, it's funny that you said that, you're hearing my accent, we're hearing yours, <laughs> but just just know in a complimentary way, I really respect and admire that of you. So I'm going to jump into my leadership questions if you're ready. Go for it. Yes, I am. I, I had so much fun researching you and I loved watching and seeing the trajectory of your achievement. I mean, you're a history major, you were in the fitness industry, then you realized you had a space from from that academic experience and work experience and jumped into learning and development. And it's like you've just been tackling this relay of life and knocking down one hurdle to the next to keep <laughs> climbing that proverbial mountain of success. Yeah. So share with us where that grit and tenacity comes from and how you finally feel seated doing the work you're doing now as an entrepreneur. Uh, that's a great question. And um, we're a day late in recording this, but my mother, without question, that's where, that's the seed of it all. And um, there's been a number of instances of hard times and things like that over the part in the past 
in my life. I'm hit 40 now and so many interesting things have happened. What's fascinating is looking back and whilst it may appear to the casual observer that there's a lot of different things I've done, there's actually a common thread through a lot of it, which is teaching and and um, and like it being a student and learning, but also teaching throughout. And, and that's what's kind of taken me on, on my route. But the person who you would kindly say there's a lot of grit there, there's a person who gave me that, certainly my mother. And uh, if you go back as far as when I was 11, um, when my parents broke up, uh, my mother took it upon herself to raise three children. Here's a woman who had a part-time job who, as a teacher and uh, couldn't drive. We had no money or anything. And she was very much, uh, I, I think it was a reaction to uh, a really hard breakup that she had that was very much like, right, we're going to build this shell of, you know, like we can do it. And, you know, she was a very positive minded person, but also very driven and, and ambitious. And to quote her, she never would say, try your best. She would always say, be the best, mm. which is interesting because as a parent, you might think, well, isn't that putting a bit too much pressure on people? She had no problem with you not being the best, but she wanted you to aspire to that position. And I, I'm very, some people may have an issue with that. And some people have taken issue with that kind of rhetoric, but I really feel that, that that's a real gift that she gave me. So I'm very pleased to have kind of had that instilled in me. And so us children did our best to be the best. And and it may not be have been the case that we were all the time, but that was very much like our, like that was the narrative as we, as we grew. And um, so, you know, going to university was important at the time. I'm a child of the 80s. So there was no internet or online marketing. There was wear a suit in London and come from a good university is what success classically would look like. So, but, but there was a lot of things that hit me along the way. And, you know, I did, yeah, you're right. My, I, my master's in history and I wanted to be an academic and, uh, my PhD, um, sadly, I didn't get funding for it. So I had to go get a job. And the first interview I took was cold calling and selling internet marketing in 2002. So um, a very new world for everyone. And I really, I, I didn't like it. And no, no one likes cold calling to start with. And it was very hard and not me. I was this introverted, studious person uh, who was being asked to be completely different. But my mum had very much like instilled in me this idea that like you don't get to quit. And, and like she, she had said, like when I finished university, she said, just so you know, you're not coming home. So you best go get a job. Very much like push you out of the nest kind of person. So having, having that sense of like, if, I, if quitting is literally off the table, then no matter how abusive this job is at times, I need to like push through and make it work. And I think I fell in love with the analysis and understanding of behavior and mechanics of of what was going on between this person being massively interrupted by me and and how I might come across and that's where I started to to win and I really enjoyed that process but yeah so I've had that but but you're, you're right when I was 19 at university I wanted to join a group uh, or like a club and rather than doing soccer as you might call it um I thought well, why not try taekwondo and so I did that and that became a part of what I did. And, and I've always been sporty. And um, so in the 2000s, in my 20s, I, I trained a lot and I did Europeans and nationals and medals and did, and did instruction and stuff like that and got my black belt. And so it was a really important world for me. But I really 
that I, I think the best way to describe all this in a nutshell is that I'm very romantic about pushing yourself through things when you know there's a really wonderful outcome. So I'm quite intentional about hard stuff. Um, uh, and, and so like 2007, I ran my first marathon knowing it wasn't going to be a particularly pleasant thing to do, but, but thinking like this can only develop you in a positive way. And so it's the same as getting kicked in the face in Taekwondo or having a hard time at work. You know, it really does take you to, to stronger places. And I just feel that helped equip me to a degree to, uh, to deal with a lot of the things that were to come. And, and, and then I, my major turning point was um, in 2012, I was very fond of my grandmother and she passed away. And so that was mm. like the first, aside from as a child losing my father in, in a breakup, which was very sour, my first moment of real adversity where I had to handle something that was quite tough. A few months later, my first, my daughter was born and was born without an esophagus so went straight to surgery and then mm. had loads of um <laughs> she basically had to have lots of surgery i had to commute from a from a hospital and i was going through a lot of pain there simultaneously my mother had cancer and three months later died so then there's this prop this apex of my family was removed and i was emotionally quite rudderless uh, and so I had a very like that year was tremendously difficult mm -hmm. and it was 2013 that was quite the shock wave because of course you go through things and you have to deal with them but it's the following year when you know you have a lot of the pain hit you so all is to say it's these moments of adversity that you either allow to define you or to um to kind of write you more and, and it's crazy when you go through stuff like that and you do apply the right kind of perspectives, you feel pretty invincible about things. You learn to not complain, but also you realize how lucky you are to have, like, I am so, I've won the lottery because I was, I believe, very well equipped by my mother. I'm a man in England. I can't really miss when I'm a man in England. I, you know, I've got a lot of natural opportunity anyway. I'm luckily educated too. So I feel like there's this almost, um, you know, I should re reciprocate with some kind of level of, of effort uh, back to whatever system has got me where I am. And so that, that's how we kind of arrive at where I am now. I, I wanted to do more um, after that year. I wanted to like stretch myself. And I knew that being corporate and killing myself for hours every, every day was actually not necessarily sustainable and not fulfilling. And, and really when the holy grail is flexibility, um, and the ability to be around your children when you want a need and and to do stimulating things that impact others it was time to move on and 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 that's where the trajectory of my own business started so that's my potted history it takes uh, so much more to add but I just that's kind of those are the main milestones that really impacted me and there's no day that passes where I don't think about like this narrative that is leading me in, in the direction I'm going. And I think I'm very lucky, but I'm also, I know I've earned a lot of what I've, what I've created. And, and I'm just trying, try and give people the, the time of day and the attention they deserve and have, have an impact on others as well. Cause I've been very fortunate to get to the position I'm in, I'm in at the moment. Well, it's, Oh, there's so many alignments that I have with you and, 
I'm sure people have asked you, you know, where where do you find that grit and, and how did you get that resilience? Or my favorite one is, is there anything you don't do? The answer's no. I I will try, I will fall forward, but at least I will try. There's a quote that I I got from you, grow when it's possible, not when it's comfortable. And as you're talking and again, just I share an alignment with you for that deep-seated grief, that trauma uh, on so many levels, parents, relatives, children, we all have something kind of in our toolkit that yeah. adds to that grit and resilience. And I think when you anchor and land in self-awareness and self-love, mm. it gives us that daily renewal of gratitude to go, I get to do this again today. Absolutely. And the, just for to the, the idea that, for instance, you wake up at five o'clock and exercise and start the day with a routine you've designed. It's actually quite a small, simple thing, but to de- be able to wake up and do that in the, with this feeling of like, how glorious that I get mm-hmm. to do this each day. Um, and, and the gratitude comes from the self-awareness. And I'll, to be really clear, I didn't have that kind of self-awareness at all as a younger adult. And it wasn't until my early thirties, I feel that I started really realizing what I've got and, and, and developing what I currently believe is is a better perspective on life. So I totally agree with you. And um, uh, it's a it's a it's a much nicer way of viewing the world. You, you know, I, I, I really uh, you know, I, I have gratitude for a lot of things now that I otherwise wouldn't have. Oh, and I think a lot of listeners will align to that and 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 feel presence that they join you in that thought process. So my next question that all my guests get the only repetitive question is share with us what imperfections you bring to your heart-centered leadership it's such a hard question um and not because i have no humility uh, and and don't want to submit anything i think that um one of the imperfections of uh which is actually a bit of a battle internally is is that there, there is this slight dichotomy deb between someone who is ambitious and wants to grow and do big things and someone who has a lot of empathy for individuals who are in the moment potentially struggling and tethering myself to them for instance my course is now 50 people in it and tethering myself to each of their individual successes so there's there's this problem of like wanting to grow massively and do so many things and then and like move up and and hopefully everyone could just look after themselves and equally wanting to look after the individuals and an imperfection i think is that i'm i wanting i'm always wanting to grow and i'm and i, I really feel i'm ambitious and I, i'm of course simultaneously happy with my lot but i i stop a lot to look at the individual and see how they're doing and i think a lot of it comes from sure self-awareness but i feel like i've got good awareness of others and i and i i i can sense if someone's maybe struggling or not doing so well and i want to write that um not through fear of them having a problem with me so much but if i can have an impact and certainly if i said i would have one uh to them then i want i want to do good by them so it's an imperfection is that i'm constantly going back and checking on people and wanting to 
I appreciate it. Can, I'm kind of perhaps painting it as a positive thing, but it certainly is slows you down in terms of another part of you that wants to go reach bigger things. Um, another area is is simply that I, I, have, I have I have I suppose another way of looking at it is I have I have quite the infection around detail, ironically, um, but that's detail for things that aren't so interested for interesting for me. So it's fascinating that they have I have very good awareness of detail when it can help someone so that's really helped me but i have a lack of interest around detail that might help myself sometimes and uh and it's weird it's a weird thing it's hard to articulate but, but hopefully it manifests in people doing well who are surrounded uh, surrounding me um but sometimes the the downside is that affects me uh um uh, further down the road but but i I'm, I've kind of made peace with sometimes putting myself second in order that uh, other people get a great result because the lo in the long run, you get a lot of upside from helping people. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. Way. It does. And I, and external eyes and, and ears listening, just remember that you're the anchor to that. Mm. And anchors don't always are fully secure in the sand, right? If we yeah. look at it from a metaphor standpoint and all of those 50 people, you started with one and you grew it. Mm, That's great. amazing. Yes. So the next question is so fun because we've already talked a little bit about this. So I'm a lover of neuroscience. It's my background. I am fascinated with the brain. I love talking about anything neuroscience. So I have a fun question for you. Okay. Taekwondo. Right. I would love for you to share with the listeners because they can then in turn take this to help not only themselves, but maybe their children. Yeah. Share with us two ways that Taekwondo really helps us from a cognitive standpoint. Interesting. Okay. So um, one would look at martial arts and things about fighting, but also it's about discipline of the body and the mind and the thing that drew me to it was that, and one of the core parts of this, if you compete, there's fighting, there's destruction, so breaking boards of wood, which requires a lot of focus. And um, there's other stuff, but there's also patterns, which is doing these often 50 plus sets of moves with utter precision. Like you are, you are marked down if a toe is a slight degree out of place or hand placement is off or something like that. And honing an awareness of what you need to do with the body is a fascinating way to to develop the mind i found and teaching children was a thrill because it allowed them to uh kind of create is, is i mean i'm not a neuroscientist but there's certainly the re result was that they got a combination of a lot of peace but a lot of a sense of control through the physical but into themselves it made people more thoughtful and more mm -hmm. aware and I've really found that and it was wonderful seeing parents come to me and say it's just the schoolwork's getting better and it could have been circumstantial but like things like that there was a lot of this common feedback was like my child just has a lot more focus mm -hmm. and a bit more precision of thought mm -hmm. and um and who knows what we were rewiring but maybe it was a combination of the fact that you had to have utter focus in the moment you couldn't be thinking about dinner <laughs> because you had to be like what it's a bit like driving a car. I'm moving this hand for the gear shift. 
as well as steering, as well as doing two pedals at the same time, your body is doing several things at once, plus breath control and everything. And it really expands up here <clears throat> what, you, what you're doing. And I believe that that translates to uh, a kind of a higher awareness of, 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 of other things as well. And then your focus really develops. That's certainly one thing that's- Oh, absolutely. Do you see what I mean? Is that something you-, you would, It is. Uh, I, I wrote down four because um, when I used to work with little people who sustained a head injury, mm. I would have their teachers saying, you know, little Johnny or little Susie, they're not focusing, they're not sitting in their chair. So the four things that I wrote down is it really helps with self-regulation of behavior. Mm-hmm. It helps with their social behavior and how they're yeah. interacting with their peers, their parents, their teacher. It stimulates the brain, but it gives them that self-efficacy for academics and schooling. And, and they take pride. And Absolutely. you know, the oxymoron in entrepreneurship is Taekwondo is so important because it eliminates the chaos and opens the space to be with clarity. Oh, well, you're right, because when you get, I, I often thought that the first three or four belts through to like green belts, you're learning the physical. And that's, in fact, what they symbolize. The green is the grassroots and the physical. When you move to the blue, it's the mind. The sky is more mm-hmm. re- representative of the mind. And what's fascinating is when you move through to that space, you go from like the fighting is, is kind of chaos, but you're having a bit more control over kicks and punches. But as you go higher up, it's not about being hit or or being more aggressive it's about clarity and i remember like as i progressed so i I'm, i made it as far as fourth degree uh, black belt but as you progress through them mm-hmm. you do find that the the fighting it for instance the sparring is more peaceful mm-hmm. because and your awareness you can take so much more in more in and little nuances of and i'm sure it's just exposure to little nuances you pick up on a lot more but i think what the like another thing i i which is relevant here, but uh, I, that gave me most most pleasure was was the actual teaching itself. Because teaching adults is one thing, in my opinion, teaching three to five year olds is an art. When you've got twelve of them in a in a class, you need like I've got a five year old. One is enough, but when you've got twelve, you have <laughs> constant variety and constant yeah. action. Yeah, and um, owning that forty five minutes is mm-hmm. a very is I mean it's just something that you need to no one can describe how to do you've just got to experience it and when you can get when you get it working they are loving it they absolutely love it and they are on point they do as they're told they are thrilled by it they're all smiling and laughing they're learning Korean it's just so fantastic but I, do, I think you know ultimately Taekwondo itself is the device though yes. and, and um like it sounds like I'm blowing my trumpet, but it requires an effective teacher who yes. has awareness of the audience in order to get them to be engaged. Otherwise, you know, like with anything, you can have the most stimulating topic in the world, but a lecturer might kill it. Absolutely. And it's neat because the transferable skills from that group of 12 five-year-olds is what you're unpacking now with the 50 <laughs> adults in your course, yeah. right? It's just... I, there's, a lot of, there's a little bit less <laughs> stuff and discipline going on, but, but still, you know, it's crazy how some of the techniques are in place. And indeed, there's crossover in the other way because running that group of 12 children, I did different age groups as well, but running those groups was very akin to knowing when to drop certain turns of phrase and so on from my sales work. And so it's it's all so intertwined. And a lot of people, a lot of people ask me, you know, with my two daughters, do I, do do I like use sales techniques to get them to do as they're told? And it's like, 
kind of yeah a lot of the time and like you know you've got to use influence is a nicer way of putting it rather than being manipulative but yes in influence and rewards right absolutely a pediatric incentive program (laughs) that sounds way nicer than being manipulative Now, my last question, I know a lot of people think about it. They don't like to verbalize it. And again, just a short answer because we could do a whole podcast on this. What's the easiest way to take the fear out of being authentic, selling who you are, your product, your service? And I know you alluded to it when you shared a little bit about your story about you know, stepping into B, but how can we get people to take their masks off and not be so fearful to sell? Because we're all in a business. Even if we're working for someone, we all have that element of sales. So how can we deflate the elephant and not be salesy and kind and still make a living? Yeah, it's, I think the first kind of monkey you have to get off, off your back is that ultimately not everyone's going to think you're brilliant and no matter how well honed your technique you'll kind of get it wrong at times i remember years ago once saying um if you were the person who cured cancer imagine you were that person like you cured cancer in the entire planet there would still be some people who would be like i don't really like him no, he's a bit showy that guy you're like yeah i look at me with his whole like you know you still wouldn't you still wouldn't be looked upon in the right mm-hmm. way by some people but more practically speaking you need to think to yourself no matter who i am my most authentic self just being me for some people will be the great the best thing ever you will be the perfect fit for them and that's the upside of having such volume around us so many millions of people out there and you know we we are certainly right now, but we, we are interfacing often through platforms like podcasts or LinkedIn or whatever it might be, where we can access distribution to hundreds of thousands of people. There will always be a hardcore of people. And I love it when people realize this, a hardcore of maybe only five to 20 people who just think you're the greatest thing ever. Uh, and, and, and it's not because you're doing anything magical. It's just that the way you come across your turns of phrase, your value and and your perspectives, the lens through which you view your set of interests is aligned with theirs. I spoke to someone the other day who I wasn't connected to, who'd followed me for a year and had wonderfully kind things to say. And she's like, this is a a dead sir. I have to work with you. And I I just thought you wouldn't have known. (laughs) I didn't know you're out there, but it represents the fact that for some, you are absolutely what they need. And that goes for everyone, no matter how crazy your niche is. And that's what I find fascinating because there's a lot of talk of, you know, you need to present yourself well and come across in the right right sense. If you look at one of the things I've done for the longest, for four and a half years, every Monday I do a live Q&A show. I sit in the same chair with the same white wall behind me and the same screen behind that switched off. And I answer people's questions. There is no performance. There's no opera there's just answering questions. But for some people, that's how they choose to start their week, because that is the thing that gets them started and they just can't get enough of it. And so don't worry about everyone else out there who, who might want you to be someone different. Let them go find someone else to be that particular hero. 
And so, so the, the kind of the answer to should I be holy myself is yes, because some people will love you for it. And so some of those decisions I made in my past to just take the route at those forks in the road, take the route that is most me. The best example there being like when I was 14, I had this image in my head of looking out the window I'll tell you where I was in a sec. We're looking out the window at school, seeing the playing field at lunchtime and everyone's playing football outside. I was in the IT lab programming my first operating system because I was a massive nerd. The choice there was like, I, I wasn't courting lots of people and being trying to be popular, but I was really well liked by the three guys who were also doing the same kind of thing. And so just like following, following your trajectory, the one that feels most you, it will always resonate with some and that's where you can be so tremendously happy because they enable you to continue being that that kind of true self if, if that makes sense oh absolutely and a couple nuggets to close that off just being yourself i'm a yoga teacher so we're meant to be human beings not human doings and just get it out there done is better than perfect because perfect you know, the land of perfection, it's an untangible reality that we never get to. And I'd rather get it out there and try. And like you said, mold it and massage it and get it to where it's to be. Yes. But not trying is likely going to kill us more. Yes. I think I think it's really important footnote that perfection is a moving target. If you were ever to attain perfection in something, a conception of what your perception uh, of what perfection is, two weeks later, your same self would have evolved somewhat to think that you know what I could have tweaked that part. Mm-hmm. And anyway, perfection's in the eye of the beholder. Perfection Absolutely, in a product or a service yeah. for your customer is down to their subjective view of if it's perfection or not. Mm-hmm. Your perfection actually doesn't matter as much as the person who's buying interfacing with the service. Absolutely. So good. We could talk about this all day. I, I think we could, yes. Yeah. All right, I'm, I'm going to switch to my Fab Four now. Four okay. fun questions about you. First question, tell us something we don't know about you. Um. Okay, something I don't know about me is I really like... <laughs> I really like being by the water. I've never shared that really. I just like being by the sea. I don't know why. I grew up near it, I suppose. Like it gives me peace. If I drive near it, I have to go and just be by the water. That's nothing particularly substantial for you as an answer, but like that is my happy place. So there we are. I've got to Well, there's another thing we have in common because I'm a boater and that's where I spend okay. my whole summer. There's, I get it. There's something calming and mm. renewing about the water. I love that. Okay. okay, second question. You are sitting down with the 16-year-old Richard. What advice would you give him today? Apart, apart from invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> well, 16 was uh, 1996. So I... I would say probably a couple of, firstly, go bigger. Every year passes and I look back and I'm like, really well done, great stuff, hit objectives or whatever, but you could have, could you have done a bit bigger? Yes, because you only go as big as, as to a degree, you only go as big as what your perspective of, of what you can achieve is at the time. And I think there is what, that is one. 
and the other is just like be grateful for every person like make the most of them you never know when you're gonna like my mum died 30 years too early to didn't even see her really see her grandchildren like tell them you love them you have time to do absolutely that. absolutely take the calls you know don't go like, oh yes. i don't have time you have time take the calls because you know you never know when what's around the corner which is exhilarating but also petrifying at the same time to so make the most of them i know that's that's from the heart that really matters absolutely Third question, one word or one sentence, define success. Being able to do all things you want to do, not just one quarter being successful. So if I can explain what I mean quickly, mm-hmm. success isn't having just, I, I'm not successful if I'm running a multi-million pound business. I'm successful mm-hmm. if I'm doing that and got a great relationship with my wife. And I get to see my children and my body's looked up. Success has to be defined by you, but it should be more holistic than the, than the one line of focus that people have. I respect success only when it's in all quarters. And and that's really crucial. You've got to define it yourself. Absolutely. And last question, share with us what you want your legacy to be. I want to be able to build a school eventually. Um, I want to redefine the kind of thing, and this is from being a parent, I want to redefine what uh, what schooling needs to look like. Uh, I absolutely take my hats off to teachers. They cover really great things, but, you know, there's other stuff that's needed. During lockdown, my eight-year-old learned to sell. She's closed two sales since being in lockdown. Where's that schooling? But also, less practical stuff, Where's this, where are the lessons on ambition, self-worth, belief, because and mental stillness and things like that, because beyond learning how to calculate the volume of a cone, we need to be able to look after ourselves. Mm-hmm. And and actually, many of my friends were in that age, you know, where stuff hits you in your 30s and 40s, stuff hits you. And for many of us, we're not entirely as equipped as we could otherwise be. So there is the practical side, you know, what's an investment and so on. But also, you know, I think there's those soft skills. So my legacy, I ultimately would like to to build schools and 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 like really turn out well-rounded children i think that would be a fantastic project to really be remembered for well that's that's a legacy i can see you doing so i knew this was going to be a fun conversation so i want to thank you for your time and your expertise i'm glad we've connected on linkedin i'm enjoying your course we're going to put everything that richard is up to because it's a lot in the (laughs) podcast episode description below. And why don't you close out the show by sharing with us your favorite quote? Oh, good one. So, um, gosh, there's a lot. One of the ones I like the most is, um, if you don't like it, change it. And if you can't change it, change your attitude. And it's a, a wonderful way of looking at the world. And it starts with you saying, well, action, let me fix the problem or the thing that's affecting me. And actually, if I can't fix it, if it's out of my control, if it's raining 30% of the time here in the UK, <laughs> then I can't change that. So I need to change my attitude. What, how, in what world or how would I map to mm-hmm. it raining all the time being a good thing? You know, where's the gratitude for that? And so that is a crucial way of looking at things. And I, I, I deploy that, 
that quote a lot uh, throughout my life. I, think I it's love it. I love it. And rising above the petty squabbles you would otherwise have in your own head. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for spending time with me today. And for our listeners, if you're enjoying the show, give us a rating, give us a review. And this is Deb Crow. Thanks once again for joining us on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast.